friends, welcome to this episode of the Make Well Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's practicing creativity in their daily life so that they can live a life of purpose and passion. Each week, we'll be interviewing Midwest makers that will unveil the behind the scenes of their journey and lessons along the way. We hope their stories help you live a creative life and inspire you to start today. Hey makers, welcome to the Makewell podcast. This is Ashton and today we're so excited to have a very special guest with us. He was once a professional motocross racer and is now a husband, father, and the designer and co-founder of Plainview and Bismarck. Please help me welcome Tanner Reedman. Excellent. Well, thank you for inviting me. Quite the intro. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, figured the, the motocross thing would come up, but. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. So I'm excited to learn more. Yeah, definitely. So maybe let's just start with kind of a glimpse of, you know, who you are today and what you do at Plainview. I guess on the day to day, I'm a a designer. Um, We focus mostly on on residential um, projects. So remodels, new construction homes, um, things like that. So I do all the drafting and design work in house here. And my father, I have two little boys that are just... um, two wild little guys <laughs> who are also getting into dirt bikes. They're like, mm. you know, all about it right now, which is pretty fun for me. Yeah. And we're just, just plugging away. <laughs> I love it. Um, so maybe I love to start the podcast with, you know, kind of your childhood years. So where did you grow up and what was kind of that first like creative outlet for you? Yeah. So I grew up, in Bismarck, um, born and raised. Um, I I really growing up, I I always wanted to leave and get out of here, Mm -hmm. especially when I was, um, you know, really getting into the racing scene. I always thought I would be in, end up in, you know, California as a kid. I just dreamed about living out there and going out Mm -hmm. there you know, as I, as I grew older and and experienced, I did live out there for a while and experienced kind of what all that has to offer that sort of drew me back into, you know, really what I like about North Dakota and having those experiences helped me to, to figure that out. So Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody probably has somewhat of a story. If they end up back, back home, um, they maybe have gone somewhere and, and it just wasn't home, but Sure. Yeah. As a kid, I mean, uh, I was always into designing stuff. I was really, you know, into motocross. So I would design motocross tracks and we would actually go and, and build them. And, you know, we were always constantly being creative in that way. I never really thought of it as like, Oh, this is what I want to do. It's mm-hmm. just something that, that was just kind of there my grandpa was, you know, a handy guy. He worked with wood, was a carpenter. So again, it was never something I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm going to be. Um, Mm -hmm. when I grow up, I, I didn't have that. I just knew I wanted to race motocross and anything that was, (laughs) you know, anything that was kind of around that world was, was pretty cool to me. So yeah, the creativity outlet was just probably, yeah thinking about motocross tracks and how, how to make <laughs> I mean, them make sense. super fun. Yeah. So when, when did you start riding a bike and like, how did you get into motocross? 
Uh, well, my, my dad got us into it. We got, my brother and I got a little PW 50 for Christmas. Um, I was four and my brother was, you know, just about six. So, um, it was kind of obviously more for him right away, but I started riding it too. And Mm -hmm. I guess right away, they tell me from the stories, I wasn't as into it as much, but (laughs) I started racing the next year at five. And I mean, I just kind of got hooked. Um, my dad raced, you know, around here and stuff. And that's sort of where, where we got into that. So it's been in, I've been doing it. Yeah. My whole life basically. So what age or at what point did did it kind of take that next serious step? Like this is more than just uh, something I like to do. Um, I was pretty young, I guess we would go to like the professional races in, um, Millville, Minnesota was like the outdoor national and then supercross was at the, you know, Minneapolis Metrodome. So we would Mm -hmm. go to that race. And, you know, when, I think when I, when we maybe eight somewhere in there, I mean, I think is when it really was like, you know, this is, this is awesome. And, you Mm -hmm. know, always wanted to my dream was to race professionally and I had no idea what that really looked like or what that meant, but I just knew that I wanted, wanted to do that. And it just kind of stuck. And I was, um, probably like most kids who want to do a professional sport. Motocross is a little bit different in the sense that it's more of an individual thing where, you know, the team sports, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know, but it was like very, very instilled and I was like very passionate about it and I was also it didn't hurt to be you know I was I was doing good at it I was racing you know locally I was I was winning a lot so it it was just kind of natural to want to see what else you know how far I could take it and was your brother still racing at that time yeah, he, so I was, I was the younger brother. So, um, you know, when we were on little fifties, he would beat me, but then, <laughs> you know, as we, as we got older, I started beating him and, and, uh, he, yeah, he, he kind of, I don't think he really cared that much. I think it probably bothered him a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I was always racing either up a class or up an age group. Um, okay. cause I wanted to, you know, race with people that were better than me and faster than me. And, and it was usually the, the older kids that I had to compete with to, uh, to get that, which was kind of fun. But I think, I think some people hated getting beat by me. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're yeah. probably like, who's this young guy beating me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's how it goes though. So were your, what were your parents like? Were they in support of it? I know you said your dad biked, but that's a pretty early age to have such a huge, you know, goal. Yeah, no, they were super supportive. Again, it's kind of one of those things where they were supportive in the fact that like they, they took me to all the races during the summer. I mean, they Mm -hmm. supported the whole racing thing. It was a family ordeal, you know, every weekend we would go as a family. It was like families that go camping all the time. We would basically be doing that, but we would be at races, you know? And so they, once you get into the amateur stuff, it becomes pretty, it gets really competitive. Like Mm -hmm. at, at when we're on like the 65s and the 85s. So, you know, you're in middle school, stuff like that. It, it gets, and even now they're even younger. Like it's, it's such a competitive sport. 
if you want to compete, you have to be going to a lot of races. And if you, if you want to be competitive on a bigger level, you kind of have to. And some kids that I knew drop out of school, they get homeschooled. They, all they do is ride. All they do is race. And it was wow. kind of difficult too, because some, I mean, I'm coming from North Dakota and, and everybody knows that, you know, we have eight months of winter and you know, not much, <laughs> not much riding time in there. So yeah. it was always a challenge to find when do you ride during the winter? Where do you go? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, trying to not lose what you've gained all summer either. Yeah. So that was always, uh, was interesting when you're competing with kids that get to ride year round. So yeah, it was very, they were very, dedicated to supporting kind of the whole, the whole dream. And it didn't, it didn't really get that crazy till probably middle school where we were traveling, you know, every weekend and, and going all over the country. So, mm. so yeah. and where, where would you train in the winter or how would you train? I, I didn't, I mean, I raced, I would go to races in the winter. They have, um, they have a lot of indoor races and they're, Oh, okay. None of them in, in the state. So you didn't really get to practice a whole lot, but we would, we would go to, you know, all the states that kind of surround us. And then even to, you know, Colorado and anywhere where they had an arena cross, which is like an indoor, an indoor race, we would, mm-hmm. we would try to go to. And that's, that's really all you could, could do. Yeah. Um, or we would drive down to like, as I got a little bit older and could started getting out on my own, we would, you know, once I got my driver's license, basically we would go down where, okay, well, there's not snow in Colorado yet. Let's go down there and, and ride for the weekend. Like it was wow. just, yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, you're still in school at this. Whole, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Crazy. So were you kind of known as like the motocross guy in school? Yeah, I think so. I, I was, again, I was in such a, I was in such a world of like racing was my whole life, mm-hmm. um, at that age, but yeah, I would, yeah, I think most people kind of knew that I was into that and I didn't have a ton of friends at school that, that rate or actually hardly nobody really. I mean, I knew a few people, but didn't have really close friends my age at our at my school that that were into it as well but okay you know a lot of my friends came from the racing scene because that's where I would be every every weekend so Mm -hmm. and I know eventually you did accomplish your goal you're a professional so at what what age did that happen and what is that like so you can um you can get your pro license at 16, I believe. Well, it was 16 then, and I think it still is now, but I got my pro license and I did, I was 17. So I was still in high school. Um, I did my first professional race in Millville, Minnesota, which is where, you know, we would go every summer growing up. You have to qualify to even get into the race. They take, um, they take like 40 riders to the, to the main event or to the main race. And that's kind of the, the race that's televised and that you see on TV. And, you know, there was probably, there's usually between 60 and 70 people that show that would show up to a race. So they have to, you know, go through the qualifying process to, to get down to the, to the top 40 people. And that's, okay, you know, 
top 40 in the country. Basically, everybody's there for that. And I remember going out and it back then it was a, they qualified by racing and now it's like time qualifying. So it's a little bit, mm. it's a little bit different. Um, but that first one was a race and I had to finish in, I don't even can't remember what place it was, but I, I, I made it. And it was super cool because everybody from the state of North Dakota that races basically go to that race, you know? So oh, cool. it, it was kind of like a local, a local crowd that was all there. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was just really fun. So that was the first, first professional race I, I went to and, and was able to qualify. And, you know, it's just surreal, like riding out there with all these people that you just, you know, watch and like want to race with. So <laughs> it yeah. was just, it was pretty wild to experience <laughs> experience mm-hmm. that when I did at that age, I, I probably, you know, looking back at it now, it's definitely more, it's crazier to me now than it was then, you know, back then I was like, I'm, I'm expecting to do, to do this. Like I need, uh-huh. I need to make it. It wasn't like, you know, I was just super dedicated to whatever I had to do to make mm-hmm. it. So, and I think I was even, yeah, I had a, I still had a fractured wrist at that one. Cause I had, oh I had broken my wrist probably <laughs> six weeks before that. And, um, you know, not major, but it was something that I was like, no, I'm not missing. I'm not missing this. I'm going to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. At 17 to be professional athlete in something. That's crazy. Motocross is just like a, a a whole different world. I mean, it's not, most people aren't around it, so they don't really, Mm. you know, know much about it, but yeah, it was, the competition is pretty, pretty crazy. And, the amount of money that is into it is just also crazy. It's not like a, everybody's riding the same equipment and sure. has the same level playing field, like, you know, so it's, 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 it's pretty tough. And I mean, what, what was it about motocross that you love so much? Like, is it the competition component? Well, is it the race itself? Like what kind of drew you to it? That's a good question. I've never really actually thought about that. Like, but thinking about it now, like it was always a family thing. Um, the friendships we had and then just, you know, riding, riding the bike was just super Mm -hmm. fun to me. And, you know, it just came really natural. I have to like try or, I mean, I worked super hard, but it was for me on a, on a bike, it, it, things just kind of came naturally. And I think that was a major appeal. Like when you're, you know, if you're not good at something, you're probably not going <laughs> to pursue it very hard, but sure. um, I think just, yeah, I just naturally felt, felt like it was something I should do. So. So at 17, then did you have to make this decision of, am I going to pursue the professional motocross thing or am I going to like pursue college and school and that kind of a thing? Yeah. So the first actually big thing I had to decide was, um, I played hockey for a few years and up till like the peewee level, um, which anybody from North Dakota is going to know what age that group (laughs) is. But my first major, um, thing I had to decide was, okay, these are both expensive sports. Which one are you going to do? because that's when we started traveling, um, for racing during the winter time. 
and you can't really do both. So I mean, you can, but it wasn't really an option for us. So we, I chose, chose the path of racing. And I remember the first year that I made that decision. I don't think we went to a single indoor race. And I was just like, I was kind of mad. I'm like, well, why did I make this decision? If we're oh, not gonna go? Yeah. So, um, so then the next year we really started traveling a lot, but, um, the education part, when I got older, I, again, I was so on the path of doing it that I just, I knew I did what I had to do in school to graduate early. So I graduated in January, okay. um, a semester so- sooner than everybody else did. Cause I wanted to just I wanted to go to California in the winter time. Mm. So, so I got all that done and I left, um, I left the state and went, went down. I think we went to Texas first, actually and stayed down there for a while and just, um, just rode and college was always a thing that I knew I needed or I wanted to, um, have sort of as my, you know, cause even the, the, most successful professional motocross racers are usually done by the time they're 30. So oh wow. I, I really knew that it's, it's a young sport. And, you know, even if you do make it, you do well, you probably should have something to back it up when you're mm-hmm. done or if you got hurt. Um, so I, I knew that I wanted to, to pursue a career in, um, in architecture was really what I was um, kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an architecture student, you, there's no way you can do that from not being there. I mean, it's a, it's an intense sure. program from, yeah. from my understanding. So, so I chose architectural drafting, um, and estimating and, and I could do the whole program basically remotely. So, oh, wow. um, I did, I did that through Wapiton and, and was able to lug my computer with to California and just <laughs> do the whole the whole thing from wherever I was. And that was kind of a big thing for me. It was like, I'm not going to be in one place mm-hmm. all year. So I got to figure out how to do this a different way. And right away, I actually was taking some, some business classes just cause I knew like, okay, I, if I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, I should at least start here. Cause you can sure. kind of go any direction from there, but you know, looking back at it now, I, I, that wasn't a bad decision, but I also think that everybody, at least my mentality back then was to jump in and, okay, well, I should be doing something, but you know, my experience was that that probably isn't the right way to think about it because I think you have a, if you don't know what you're going to do, maybe taking a year off and actually going and working or traveling or you know, finding your passion, figuring out what you want to do. Um, you'll probably learn a lot more doing that than you might Mm -hmm. by going and taking, signing up for college and taking some classes you don't necessarily, I mean, you do have to, I feel like you do learn by taking some classes you don't necessarily need, but Mm -hmm. it might not be worth it at the end of the day. So it's hard to beat that real life experience sometimes too, to just get out there and try some things. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think it should be a prerequisite for college is that you actually went and worked for a year first mm. and then, <laughs> cause you can get, <laughs> you can get a lot of education just from doing, you know? So then when you became a professional, you said that you moved to California. How long were you there and did you travel a lot 
Yeah. So when I, I never really, I can't ever say that I moved anywhere because <laughs> I've never like set up roots, Sure. but it was more like I have family out there, some relatives. So I would go stay with them. Okay. Like during the, during the times here when you don't want to be in North Dakota. So, <laughs> um, so it was kind of just, um, yeah, I was just sort of moving around. I was going, you know, and we have our own track here that we run. So in the summertime, it made the most sense for me to be here because, you know, I could do everything I needed to, um, mm-hmm. from here, I guess. So it was kind of like, I was never gonna, I didn't ever think I was going to like move somewhere permanently. So yeah, it was. And then when you're racing at that level, they're all over the country. So if you're in California, then every race is really far away where at least being in North Dakota, you know, it's somewhat in the middle kind of on the North side. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, just a little easier financially to travel from here than it was to travel, you know, from California all the time. Mm And as you're doing this online um, program with Wapaton, how many years was that? It's a two-year degree. I think I probably spread it out over like three years just because I didn't take a full load every semester, Um, Mm -hmm. which was nice because I kind of just did it at at my own pace. And um, I didn't stay in school for eight years, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I knew that like... You know, it was kind of some people are like, oh, how do you do that? How do you stay like, you know, on track? And it's like, well, that's just the mentality I have. It's like, if I want to do something, I'm just going to do it and get it done that way. But yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it came to, you know, when your program's done, um, maybe racing is kind of looking like it might not be a forever thing. Was it hard to take that next step towards your career or what did that look like? Not really. I mean, I had been, I think I was 23. So from 17 to 23, I had, you know, been through the ringer pretty good with the whole (laughs) experience. I mean, um, I think the last one, the last draw for me, I got, I broke my arm in just practicing when I was out in California and that it was a pretty bad break. Um, and it was right in the middle of the season and I had probably been doing like the best I'd ever done overall, just cause you have experience. Um, I felt like I was kind of more, you know, starting to become more of like a veteran and it wasn't like new to me anymore. Oh, sure. So the experience level was just way higher. I had way more comfort and this was, you know, when I was racing supercross. So, um, you're indoors and and it's just a whole different experience. You're, uh, you know, on a huge stadium with tons of people. So right away, that was like a really hard thing to, um, figure out, but you know, as you got, as you got more experienced, it just becomes natural just like anything. Mm-hmm. But when I broke my arm that, that winter, it took me way longer to heal. And I was kind of like, you know, one foot out the door almost, Okay. Anyway, and I was like proposed to my now wife, I guess, and mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking, you know, I mean, I can, I can maybe go do this one more year, give it another shot, and see how it goes, or I can, you know, really pursue 
what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. And sure. so that was kind of where I sort of made that decision to just hang it up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was always like a thought in the back of my head that, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go another year or maybe something will change, but it was kind of like, I still had this feeling of like, Hey, I want to, I want to start the next chapter and mm-hmm. do the next thing. So, yeah. So it wasn't super hard, but yeah, it was an interesting mm-hmm. time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's an emotional decision. Cause like you said, you've been doing it since you were four years old <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. not like you, you can't still pick up the bike, but it's probably not going to be at the level or the competitive spirit that you were at. No, not at all. And I think that was a, like, even now I know racing is still really fun to me, but it nothing really can compare to that to that level and Mm -hmm. so it's just not I don't know it's it's still fun and I get out you know a few times a year to race and you know I think it'll be really fun watching my boys kind of grow up and race too so yeah um but yeah it's not like something you can just pick up and go be really competitive at so now I just do it more more for fun and Mm -hmm. try to not hurt myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah very good point (laughs) yeah so with with your degree that you've received um you kind of said that it was a little bit of a guess going in so I'm so were you confident that architecture was like the way that you wanted to go with your career once you were done studying yeah definitely I I again I I would have loved to have gone and gone to school and gone gone to the architecture school and got a degree in in architecture. But I think the path that I was led down was probably more appropriate for what I'm doing and what I'm passionate about. Um, You know, if I wanted to be designing, you know, libraries and hospitals and, and, you know, big structure, um, big buildings and things like that, I think there's really no other way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was sort of more, I would say born out of the trades, you know, like I, I did carpentry, you know, when I would come back in the summer times and and work here, that's what I did. I mean, I did framing and, you know, I worked with a guy that would, he, we built a few houses. Um, so I really had a really good understanding of, of construction before I even, um, went to school. And that's sort of what drew me into it too, because I knew, I knew I didn't want to like rely on being a a physical doing physical labor my whole career. So I really liked working with my hands and Mm -hmm. making things. Um, but you know, I, I always saw like the, you know, design side of it as, as a really good, you know, Mm -hmm. other option. And and that was, so I knew like, this is what I'm going to do. And I always had this dream of, of, having a design and build company. Um, so it was, it was definitely a passion from the beginning, but I just took a different path to get there. Sure. Yeah. And it's cool looking back to understand and to realize that it was the right path. So Mm -hmm. it's it's fun that it took you that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah. And I guess, so you said that you had this like, you know, dream of starting your own business. Was that kind of within the works right after school or did you seek a, you know, a job working for someone else? Um, right away, I I got a job working for a lumberyard here in town, um, a drafting job. 
I always had this feeling of wanting to own my own business. My dad had ran a shop, uh, auto shop, and I kind of just grew up around that like mentality of, Mm -hmm. you know, just running his own business kind of a thing. And again, it never really dawned on me to like have be an entrepreneur or anything like that. I just knew that maybe I, I, I wasn't cut out necessarily to to do the nine to five kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And I learned that pretty quickly working at a lumber yard that um, (laughs) like I really liked, I learned a ton in the short time I was there, Mm -hmm. but the, yeah, the, the punching the clock kind of thing, just, I realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be happy doing that. And, you know, I, I thought about working for, some specific builders that I kind of was drawn to here in town. And I thought that would be kind of cool. Um, but the whole owning your, owning my, my own company, my own business was never really like a thing that was super desired until I kind of started, we kind of started talking about it. Blake and I, you know, we'll get into that, but when we started playing view, that was kind of like, you know, once you had had that taste of self-employment and it was what you were wanting to do, it, it makes it super hard to really think about doing anything else. <laughs> yeah. So I know a couple entrepreneurs joke that like once you once you do experience that you can't go back. <laughs> no, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. There are days though, I will say it's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Oh, of course not. <laughs> there's so many things you don't that aren't you have to do that aren't really what you're what you're passionate about and some days you're just like man I wish I could just sit here and do what I'm good at and not have to worry about these other things mm-hmm. um but it all it all always weighs the, the the bad stuff for sure sure so was the idea for plain view kind of stirring within you when you were working at the lumber shop yeah so I reconnected with an old friend Blake Presler and, and he was working for an architecture firm in town at the time. And we were both, you know, we, we kind of got reconnected through, um, biking actually, and oh, crazy. Mountain biking and, and, you know, just hanging out, riding bikes, talking about building and, and residential construction here in, in Bismarck. And, you know, the certain things that we, saw that we're kind of missing from, from the market in terms of, of a design. We just kept brainstorming about, you know, on these bike rides and we were just kind of talking and it sort of led us into the, um, you know, both of us were married, but we didn't have kids. So it was kind of an easy transition to mm-hmm. quit our day jobs and, um, kind of take it on, take it on full time. But it was kind of, we, we both were feeling this urge of like, okay, we, we can be doing something else and we can offer something that's not being provided and let's just, let's go for it. Did you, cause that's a huge jump. So like, did you have clients or anything in place before taking that leap or you're like, all right, we're doing it. We're going for it. Yeah. Our first, so we both basically moonlighted our first job. We, <laughs> we did, uh, we did the, the local bike shop over, over by Memorial bridge. Oh um, yeah. So we, we worked on that together. That was kind of like our first job that we took on together. And 
again, that was like a light, light commercial project. So it really wasn't what we were going for. But, um, once we kind of had that one, we, we had, um, kind of a couple new construction projects kind of roll in and then we just decided to go for it. So I, I look back at it now and I'd probably think I was crazy if you were, you know, <laughs> if I was to do it at this point in the game. Um, because no, it was very, it was very hard right away because we were trying to sell design mm-hmm. and to a residential market that was used to getting plans drafted up at lumber yards for literally almost nothing or yeah. builders, builders do spend a lot of time even with their in-house drafters to design homes. And a lot of times they don't even charge clients for it. So, sure. so we had to really figure out a good way to, um, how do we sell a design process to a residential market? That's really not used to having, you know, to pay for it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, we didn't eat very much for a few <laughs> days. <laughs> No, we were, yeah. <laughs> and I, so I, I'm a designer, so I love the design process and could get really nerdy about that. But I yes. am curious, like, how did you kind of educate and inform the community? Like, how did you introduce yourself as like, this is what we do and this is why it's important? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're, in, I don't think we're ever done figuring that out. I mean, it's sure. still, we're still working on, on that. Um, but you know, right off the bat, I guess we were we were focusing on home builders, developers, and just the average homeowner that might sure. come and, and have a house designed, and then they might go try picking out a builder based on you know what they what they like. So we had we each had some pretty good relationships just in the community already, mm-hmm. and I had formed some relationships with some builders. Um, obviously from being at the lumber yard. Um, so there were, there were a few builders and developers that we worked with right away that kind of, you know, took a, took a leap with us and and got us some of our first jobs. So, and then from there, they were, some of them were so just different that it was, it kind of, they kind of stood out and, and Bismarck's small enough and we, we are both local, you know, homegrown people. Mm -hmm. So, it doesn't take long in a town like this to sort of spread the word. Sure. But if we were in some other place where we didn't have connections, it would have been way, way more difficult (laughs) to do. So I got to toss some of it up to just that, that whole fact that we, you know, we're Mm -hmm. both from here and, and had some good relationships already in place. Yeah. That's something I definitely noticed across all industries. It's connections are big here. Yeah, absolutely. So how long into the business until you got kind of that dream project of, you know, this is exactly what we want to do. This is going to be the perfect showcase for what we want to do. One of our first clients was, it was, it's kind of weird because a lot of the clients that we get seem to come to us and like, they kind of know, they know what they want, but they're giving us a lot of autonomy to do what we want, which is mm-hmm. as a designer yourself, you know, like that's how you do the best job is maybe not by trying to follow exactly what they want, but they, they tell you what you want, but you have to be the one to figure out how to, what that actually looks like. Yeah. And I remember our first client and one of our first clients and 
it was the wing house and it's probably one of the houses we've, you know, kind of been known for. They actually wanted a two story <laughs> house and we ended up designing them something completely different um, that, that they were just so in love with, even, you know, to the day they, they moved out of the state for, for employment reasons. But it's, it is interesting to work with somebody and, and, they think they know what they want and then you convince them that what they actually want might be something different <laughs> based on the yeah. information they're giving you. And, uh-huh. and that's kind of why I think people hire designers. And if you don't know why you're hiring a, a designer to design something, then you're probably, you're not going to be the right client. So it's for us, it's especially early on, we didn't want to like say no to anything because we also sure. needed to eat food and, and pay our bills. <laughs> yeah. But you, you sort of get to that point where you're able to like, you just kind of know like, okay, this, mm-hmm. this person probably isn't the best person that for us and vice versa, we might not be the best out, you know, set up for them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hiring a designer. It's, it's one of those things where I feel like the consumer, it's so easy for them to be like, this is what I want. Can you do it? Whereas like, what we actually want to do is like, tell me what your goal is and I'll help you get there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I learned so much just even working with, with Blake early on, you know, I get most of my, it, it was really nice having somebody like him to be able to collaborate with. And, you know, we, we really bounced a lot of stuff off of each other mm-hmm. and I was not, good at designing things when we first started, but I was more of the the technical person, like let's, how do we draft this? How do we build this kind of a thing? And, you know, over the years, it's just, it really started to click. And and I got a lot of my architectural education working alongside Blake, um, who had a, a degree in architecture and really sort of took me under his wing. So, yeah, I think, and again, I think that's one of the best ways to learn. And that's why most people out of college, they, they, or in college, they have internships. And I felt like I was getting that while I was getting paid. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, and, and owning my own business, so mm-hmm. it was kind of, it, it was, again, it was a different, completely different path than probably what most people take, but it, it yeah. I felt like it probably led me to the, the best point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure, I mean, you guys have been super successful. Has, has the team grown? Has it changed over the years? Yes, it has. Um, so two, about two years ago now, Blake actually ended up moving back to Montana and that's where he went to school. It was a, it was a kind of a rough patch and any, anybody you talk to who says, you know, you ask them about partnerships and, and a lot of people will steer you away from partnerships, but I don't think our business would have been successful or could have worked not as, you know, not as yeah. a partnership. Yeah. And, and it was really, it was really good. And even when we started the business, we were like, we were both in this position of like, I want to be more passionate about what I'm doing. So regardless of whether or not Plainview is around our entire careers, we looked at it as like a, just a, opportunity to do something different and it might lead us to you know our next the next chapter or it might continue on and it might be this thing we do the rest of you know the rest of our lives but we didn't really Mm -hmm. think about it as like we're going to run and grow this huge 
design company in Bismarck. Um, sure. And so when he gave me the news that he was leaving, I was pretty, I kind of had a weird feeling, you know, a feeling that it might be coming, but I didn't mm-hmm. know for sure. And then, um, so I took probably 12 months to really like f- figure out my new direction. Cause when we started sure. playing you, it was a, it was a, a mutual thing and now it's just me. So yeah, I'd never even thought about what that would look like. And so I did enough stuff to kind of stay busy mm-hmm. and, you know, make an income, but I knew it wasn't necessarily going to be what I wanted to be. So, yeah. so the next step was to figure out, do I hire, do I find somebody to partner with? Who do I hire? What do I want to focus on? And then it kind of took me back to building and I always wanted to do, you know, be more of a design build company. So I got a phone call out of the blue from Logan Hoff and we had kind of talked about it, I don't know, six months before that. And just, I wasn't sure what I was doing. And <laughs> Logan yeah. was kind of, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. and so we were both just in this weird spot and he was working insurance at the time. And when he called me, I was like, man, I'm, I'm really happy you called because literally this week has been like, this has been really heavy on my mind and on my heart. And sure. like, I'm really, really think we should start the conversation of, of, you know, teaming up. And, mm. and so I got really excited and I knew it was going to be a long, another six months before we would even do anything. So it was kind of sure. just, we really started just sort of having that conversation weekly and um, Mm -hmm. figuring out like what roles he's going to play because there's just so many things in the business um, that again, you don't always want to be doing. So (laughs) yeah, who's going to do which roles and he Uh compliments the stuff that I don't do well. He compliments all those things really well. So, Mm -hmm. so, um, so yeah, we brought Logan on and, are now doing the full designing and building process. Um, Plainview was always more process oriented and not necessarily product driven, um, Mm -hmm. which can be difficult to, to sell (laughs) when you don't have like, here's a product and here's something you can, you know, you can hold and touch and feel. Um, You're kind of just, you're kind of selling like, stuff on paper and it's like okay this this is going to turn into a product i promise yeah and it's going to be huge or well yeah as huge as most houses because you guys believe in sustainability but like (laughs) it's going to be a thing (laughs) yeah no for sure and so so we're really early on in that in that phase of plain view design build um so we're really taking it uh taking a slow approach um it it's like fast food versus, you know, good, healthy cooked meals. Fast <laughs> food is, is something that if you are hungry and just need food, you can pick it up and it's done and it's easy, but mm-hmm. that's not the, the way to a sustainable company or a sustainable business or even sustainable housing. So sure. we're, we're really trying to figure out our process and how we can bring, you know, the most value to our clients through, through designing and building all in one, you know, smooth Mm -hmm. transition and so we're 
early in that phase, like I said, and we're just continuing to kind of explore how, how we're going to work and do these things. And yeah. it's kind of like starting a business over again, really honestly is what it feels sure. like. So it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Second, second life to the same business. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And I know something that you guys do really well is the kind of the infill and the sustainable housing. So that's something that's really unique. And how, or at what point were you kind of drawn to that type of thinking? Like what kind of got your attention? You know, honestly, that came early on. Um, Blake had probably a bigger role in, in infill and redevelopment. He's the one who kind of shed the light on it for me. So we got really heavily into it right away, really right after we started the company, it was still something that I think there was nobody really talking about it. And we, mm-hmm. there weren't any, you know, there wasn't anybody to have the conversation with other than ourselves. So we just started talking about it and we ended up doing a project on 12th and B we call it uh, B 12. And, you know, looking back at it again, looking back on that, it's like, mm-hmm. man, I would have done a lot of things differently. Like, we we just sort of went for it and did it and we did another one on third street this past year that was very successful all the units Mm -hmm. were sold and we're working on one on mandan street right now um you know and, and it's it's just it's an important part um to our philosophy and you know good design is always gonna be you know thinking about solar and wind and all these things that you can, you know, take advantage of, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be like, we have to think more, you know, beyond that. And how does a house, you know, how can we become more sustainable? And just in the sense of talking about square footage of homes, I mean, houses are just ginormous um, mm-hmm. these days. So even if you are building an energy efficient house, we're, we're, we're using up a ton of land to do it. We're building very large houses on inefficient type. I mean, not using the land very efficiently, I guess. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole where infill, um, the infill conversation comes into play. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not running out of room here in Bismarck. I mean, we can yeah. keep spreading out if we want to, but it's also the conversation of it. it it's very expensive to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, keeping up on all those costs and, and getting more fire stations and police and, yeah. you know, trash and all the infrastructure that goes into just one, adding one development um, is very expensive to, to do and to maintain. Um, so one of the things that we've put a lot of emphasis on and a lot of research into is how can we, how can we utilize the stuff that's already here? And so, that's really where our infill passion is. Like how can we re, you know, find not only empty lots, but maybe underutilized blocks, city blocks Mm -hmm. that um, could be redeveloped into something different, you know? Yeah. And that makes me excited because I, I've learned about sprawl and it's just crazy. Like there's so many stats about how a community thrives when it's closer together um, and building up instead of building out. And so, yeah, I'm excited for what that looks like for you to come. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And it, it always, it's an arduous process. You know, there's a lot of effort and stuff that goes into even just being on the 
forefront of something like that. Um, yeah. You know, we're definitely, and we don't, we're not trying to like stop development from happening <laughs> or going out. Um, I just think we're really trying to figure out a way or, or at least have the conversation, like how can we do better than we're doing? And mm-hmm. I think if you don't ask that question and you just go with the flow of the way it is, you get to a point where it's like, Oh, we should have done this back then. So it's not always the easiest position in place to be, but it's important to us, especially that we're going to be the ones kind of inheriting the mm-hmm. problems we're going to have in the future. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't foresee us moving away from Bismarck. So I want to, if I'm making some kind of an impact on how we develop, then, then that's, you know, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so looking at the past seven or so years with Plainview, what have been some of your biggest wins? Honestly, these infill projects that we've gotten through and have done now, I would say are, are our biggest wins. I mean, mm-hmm. they're designing a, a million dollar house on a huge lot, even, you know, in town or even out in the country is not as exciting to me as figuring out how to make, you know, four one bedroom units on one lot. That's technically not buildable. So, (laughs) you know, every time we do one of those projects, it's a win for me. Mm -hmm. And I learn so much from, from every one of them. I just, I'm waiting for it to get easier. It just hasn't yet. (laughs) Uh, Slowly but surely you're paving the way. (laughs) Yeah. Trying Yep. So I guess before I ask the final question, I would love to hear, like looking back, even to that four-year-old self, just starting, you know, with his first bike, is there anything you wish you could share with that kid as advice or words of wisdom? I I don't think there's much I would say to myself, but as my Mm -hmm. son, speaking to my boys, my dad always was very um, adamant about having fun doing it. And he's like, he's like, you know, if you're not having, if you're not having fun, then we're just not going to, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. So even being at that level of, you know, competitiveness and the amount of support that they gave me, they were always still very, there was never pressure to like perform and to, you know, always just, you have to do this because we've done all this for you. So we expect you to do something. So, so I think that's a big lesson is to just make sure I want to make sure that I'm telling them to, to like, yeah, make sure you're having fun no matter what. Cause if you're not, then, you know, I'm not going to force you to do it. And I don't (laughs) think you should follow anything. You're not, you know, having fun at or being passionate about. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good because I think, especially as adults, sometimes that gets lost. So if we can oh, teach that sure. earlier, the better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very moldable right now at this age, so you can mm-hmm. you can instill some some good stuff on them now. <laughs> I love that. Well, our final question is always the same. It is, what is one thing you wish you were really good at but aren't, and then how do you work around it? I and I knew th- I knew this question was coming up, so I was a little <laughs> bit prepared, but. Honestly, there's so many things I wish I was, I was good at. Um, and there's so many things I wish I was better at, but one thing for me, um, I wish I could figure out a way to be more productive, um, Mm -hmm. and and be 
more efficient at, at just getting stuff done. I kind of f- fly up above the clouds and I like to get like major things done. But then when it mm-hmm. comes down to like the details, my wife will tell you like, I'll start a project and get it about 90% of the way there. And then I'm on to the next mm. thing. So <laughs> it's, yeah, even the dishes, she gives me a hard time. I get them about 95% done and then I'm already <laughs> off to doing something else. So I wish I was better at, at that. And, yeah. Um, working around it, I guess you kind of have to rely on other people more. That's something yeah. I've learned even bringing Logan on. I'm so used to just relying on myself to get it kind of get things done. But, but, you know, there's so many things that you can pass along to other people and we don't have like a huge team or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. there's just other resources. I think I've learned that I need to tap into and let and let go of in order for, in order for me to be productive. So I think that's kind of what I'm figuring out. Yeah. I feel like any entrepreneur feels the pressure of we have to be good at all the things because you wear so many hats, but sometimes it's like, no, you just need to delegate or find someone to do that for you. (laughs) Exactly. That's super important. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story from motocross to plain view. It's fun to see how even the bike is this like connection piece for you, even in your professional career with Blake and now your kids, it's super, super cool and special. Yeah. It's probably the two wheels will probably never go away. I I think so. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and looking forward to, to more, more stuff that you guys are doing. It's pretty cool. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Makewell Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. If you'd like to learn more about the Makewell community or get connected, you can visit wearemakewell.com or at wearemakewell on Instagram. All right, we'll see you next time, friends.